You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. Christmas because everyone's like pretty excited and I love that. Um, Good morning. Happy fourth week of Advent. It is the Advent candle that we lit this morning of love and I love that. Um, Personally, I know that Advent is supposed to be a time where we're expectantly waiting for a savior to come. Um, And I love the idea of expectantly waiting, but in 2021, I'm kind of done with waiting. I don't know if anyone else is. Um, I wanted to start off this morning by saying that if what you are waiting for is just rest from a highly emotional, full of traffic, full of people and family members you may not always like to have dinner with season, I'm holding that with you this morning. I get excited around Christmas time because I feel like it's a time for me to rest and read Advent devotionals and think about making Christmas cookies, Um, but I'm tired. And sometimes I feel embarrassed that I haven't gotten in this Christmas spirit yet. So if you're feeling a little grinchy or like Ebenezer Scrooge himself, um, just know that I'm in that with you um, and that there's space for all of us, regardless of how we're feeling um, about this Christmas season. So yeah, good morning. Um, This morning we're going to be talking about Luke 1, and I'm going to warn you it's going to be a little text heavy. But I think it's because this text is, one, really important but also really cool. Um, So if you guys can bear with me, I'll try to read kind of quickly, and I'll give you some insight as we go along. Um, So if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to Luke chapter 1. Super easy. We're going to start at verse 11. I don't know about you guys, but I can't wait till we're in a new space and Stephen encourages you to steal from church again. Um, That's when I know we'll be back. Um, So in Luke chapter 1, verse 11, it says... Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or another fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked, the angel. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Zachariah responds in most um, texts, it actually says, how can I know this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Here's, he's actually quoting Genesis 18:11, which is the story of Sarah and Abraham, um, when they were told that they were going to have a child in their old age, age as well. I've got to share a quote from a commentary on this because I thought it was really funny. Like, this was funny in a biblical commentary. It says, with all due respect, this is a dumb question. I know. The correct teacherly point of view is that there are no dumb questions, but this one is dumb. 
An angel of the Lord stands before him and says, your prayer has been answered. What sort of evidence would have convinced him if the appearance of an angel wasn't enough? And if Zechariah can quote from the story of Abraham, can he not remember how the story turned out? Oh. I will give you this reminder only once today, even though I would like to give it to you a hundred times. Um, but while pretty pictures painted of Gabriel looks like a normal guy in a white robe that might look a little bit like Thor, um, <laughs> according to the Bible, he's probably more similar to Mothman with a hundred eyes. So whatever you want to do with that information, you can. Um, then in verse 19, it goes on to talk about what happens because of Zachariah's need to know. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and unable to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Gabriel said, you're done. Um, not today, buddy, and takes away his voice until John is born. So that's the first story we come across in this chapter of Luke. Um, and in the second one, we experience Gabriel again, but this time talking to Mary. And we'll start in verse 26. I think it's also up here, maybe. Um, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so Elizabeth is Zachariah's wife, God sent the angel of Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. This story might sound a little familiar. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. That's also how I feel anytime someone puts a Google Calendar invite on my computer without an agenda. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God would, will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary responds by asking, How can this be, since I am a virgin? This is different from Zachariah's unbelief because we know that Zachariah had the knowledge of how that story turned out. Mary is just simply asking a question of logistics here. Gabriel lets her know that it's going to happen with the help of the Holy Spirit and that Elizabeth, her family member, is also pregnant. Mary's response to Gabriel is a yes answer. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. She says yes to Gabriel, and she says yes to God's plan. Gabriel tells Mary something that is going to change her life forever. The fact that she's unwed at that time meant that she might bring shame upon herself and her family. I'm guessing it might have made the courting with Joseph thing a little bit trickier than it once was. Um, and pregnancy at this time is really risky. Knowing all of this, she still responds with yes. May your words to me be fulfilled. Mary says yes to God's plan, even though it's scary, even though the logistics don't make a ton of sense. She says yes for what's been planned for her. Gabriel showing up to both Zechariah and Mary are pretty mirrored experiences. And both Mary and Elizabeth are having their lives changed in a way that was unexpected. People thought Elizabeth was too old to have a child, and Mary was unwed and pretty young. Um, the next verse after Mary giving her yes is her heading right on over to Elizabeth's house. Can you imagine how scared Mary probably was? 
that she was going to be a mother, knowing that her being pregnant and having a child at that time was extremely dangerous. Her yes meant her giving up her body as she knew it to a child that would be called Jesus, the son of the God most high. So she does what I think many of us do when we are scared or confused or looking for comfort. We go to the people we trust and we go to people that may be able to help. Here are the verses from that scene starting in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who, is, who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. When she gets there and greets her, it says that John leapt in her womb. This is the fulfillment of Gabriel's promise that John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Elizabeth then takes time to proclaim and encourage Mary's call. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. Elizabeth is also the first to call Jesus her Lord. One of my favorite verses is this last one, though. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I think Elizabeth is talking about the promise of Mary's immaculate conception and the promise of a savior, but I think she's also talking about herself here. The idea that she was to have a child in her age, she believed that the Lord would fulfill that promise to her, too. I imagine that Elizabeth must have been pretty lonely in her first few months of pregnancy. If we flash back to that first story, we know that Zachariah lost his ability to speak. We don't know if she was in full solitude, but I bet she was glad to see Mary when she showed up. Her family, her friend, someone that understands what she's currently going through. I mean, just imagine they're like, hey, let's go get coffee and catch up, and you sit down and discuss the same Mothman that like met your family. Um, I love that in this story that brings us the Messiah, it includes two pregnant women in community together, affirming God's call on each other's lives. The second step that we know after Mary's yes was her confiding and gathering in community. When we take the time after getting scary news or a new job or we do something exciting is that we want to share it with someone. Burdens become lighter to bear when we bear them in community, and Elizabeth and Mary show us that. I love that Mary and Elizabeth's ages also aren't mentioned in any part of this scripture. We know that Elizabeth is pretty old, and while we don't know the exact age of Mary, most biblical scholars guess around 14 to 16. The image of their compassion towards each other and their children shows us what generational kinship can look like and the joy that it can bring. Mary and Elizabeth illustrate what general kinship looks like. So as a younger single participant of the Center Church community, um, some of the best moments that I have are when people have invited me into their home. When they let me eat a meal with them and their kids, and sometimes even let me babysit, even when that means that I'm going to put one to sleep and I can't figure out the like arm to crib maneuver. Um, and so I end up just holding them until parents get home. Thank you, Jebeth. <laughs> um, I texted my mom and I was like, hey, how do I do the like arm to, like when do I know that it's safe to do like the arm to crib thing? And my mom responded, never. And I was like, okay. <laughs> 
so I'm going to sit here. Um, being invited into families and homes despite my age and my status is one of the best gifts of this community. Mary went off to Elizabeth for help and encouragement and stayed with her for a while. I wish we got to see more of what happened in those few months together. So we're caught up in this story and we're at today's lectionary reading that Hadley read for us earlier. We're getting into the meat of it and this part really excites me. This is Mary's response to Elizabeth. It's called the Magnificat, Mary's song, or as some say, and I love, the Gospel of Mary. She says this, starting in verse 46. And Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my Savior rejoices in God, my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary proclaims it. She speaks the characteristics of God and the characteristics of Jesus, that he has brought down the mighty and exalts the humble, that he filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary proclaims from the very beginning what Jesus proclaims with his entire life that the birth of a savior brings about a new kingdom. I love this tweet from Caitlin Scheich that multiple people sent me while I was preparing for this sermon. It says this, every discussion of biblical womanhood should include the fact that in Luke 1, two pregnant women celebrate their new motherhood by passionately discussing the coming overthrow of every earthly empire. In Luke 1, Mary says yes to God. She confides in community with Elizabeth and then she proclaims a new kingdom. And she says that in that new kingdom, God has picked a side. I know that saying that sounds a little scary, and it feels a little scary to me. I know that God loves all of his people, and I believe that. But if we look at the gospel of Mary and Jesus' life, the choice is pretty clear. Mary says he's filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Matthew, it says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It says, for the last will be first, and the first will be last. And whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Even Hannah, Samuel's mother, proclaimed in her song of praise something so similar while she was pregnant. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy up from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. We see this to be true in the incarnation, in the birth of Jesus, which is wrapped up and placed with a bow every Christmas season, but is truly a story of total disruption. The prophecy of a Messiah was heard from generation to generation, and I'm sure many people pictured God being mighty as sending a king or a ruler or someone with title or majesty. And yet the story we get here is a young girl sheltering with another mother proclaiming the new kingdom that her child will escort in the world to turn it upside down. An unwed mother who found favor with God. Mary giving her body to an unlikely savior. 
In those verses, Mary calls God mighty, but I think that her version of mighty looks a little different than mine. I like to imagine what a mighty Jesus looked like. A vulnerable infant, a skin-knee toddler, a messiah in a teenage boy, a carpenter. The Savior enters the world in vulnerability, placed in a manger by his parents after a long day or days of travel, a birth that includes blood, sweat, tears, crying, a mother meeting her child after nine months of proclaiming his goodness and his glory. A question I've been asking myself while reading this is that, is this good news? Is Mary's birth announcement one that we should hang on our walls and on our hearts? When we accept the song of Mary as her birth announcement, we understand that the birth of the Savior is one that brings about disruption, justice, and a new kingdom. That is what we are remembering this Advent season. A baby who could have chosen to come in power and glory but didn't. Who came into a broken world donning the same skin and flesh and bones as us. Love came down, was birthed, was nursed, was nurtured, was taught, supported, a son loved by imperfect parents and teachers and friends. I think if we were told what Mary was, that a savior was on their way, we would proclaim similar things that she did, that Elizabeth did and that Hannah did even before her, that the mighty would be brought down, that the hungry would be fed, that the needy would be lifted up and that reparations would take place for black people and indigenous people and all of the people that have been subjugated in the name of the gospel. Amen. That people in our city would have warm homes and full stomachs. Amen. And babies would have room in the inn or at St. Mary's Hospital. And it wouldn't bankrupt people to birth children. Amen. And people of all colors and preferences and partners would be treated equally in labor. Amen. That would be our hope, right? Our song may sound a little different nowadays, but I love the, virgin, the version that Rachel Held Evans wrote back in 2017. She says this. But I'm not feeling sentimental this Advent season. I'm feeling angry, restless. And so in this season, I hear Mary's Magnificat shouted, not sung. In the halls of the Capitol building, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. In the corridors of the West Wing, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. In the streets of Charlottesville, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Among women who have survived assault, harassment, and rape, he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Among the poor, the refugees, the victims of gun violence, and the faithful ministers of the gospel who at great costs are speaking out against the false religions of nationalism and white supremacy. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. She goes on to say, this is the stunning claim of the incarnation. God has made a home among the very people the world casts aside. And in her defiant prayer, Mary, a dark-skinned woman, a refugee, a religious minority in occupied land, names this reality. We know that a savior isn't coming in the form of a politician or a king or someone with money and power. Justice and glory can only come in the humble form that overturns the oppressors and lifts up the oppressed. In what some may say is the most important story in the Bible, the incarnation shows us what so many people are asking. 
how does this end? How can this be made right? The answer is found in the overturning of a kingdom through the most vulnerable, an infant baby. The Magnificat is good news because it's a reminder that this is not the way of the kingdom. The story of Advent and the story of Jesus' birth can be seen in Mary herself, the Divine Mother, who gave of her body for a savior, for the Savior of the world. We'll take part in communion a little bit later this morning. And as we take of the body of Christ, we need to remember the fact that in human form, he also took on the body of another. Before Christ could give his body to us, Mary gave her body to him. In this Advent season, in the start of a new year, what does it look like for us to say yes? To a new building? To a new season? To a new therapist or doctor or friend? What does it look like to gather and confide in community? Is it joining a small group or starting a book club, calling someone you haven't seen in a while? And what does it look like for us to proclaim a new kingdom where everyone has a seat at the table, one that brings justice and brings down the oppressors? Will we be a part of the proclamation of a new kingdom right here in Richmond, even one that may make you and I uncomfortable, one that turns the tables on power? Mary shows us the way. She says yes. She gathers with others and then she speaks. Maybe it's our turn to follow in her footsteps. Guys, I am exhausted in this season of new waiting for a new kingdom. I think that many of you guys may be exhausted too. The past two years have been really hard for a lot of us and it doesn't feel like there's an end. But we know how this ends. The Christmas story shows us how this ends. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Will you all pray with me this morning? Holy God, we thank you for the story that you have given us. Um, we thank you for the women that have come before that we can learn from. The women like Elizabeth and Hannah and Mary, we thank you for their decisions to say yes to your plan. We ask you in this new season, in this Advent season, that you help us say yes to whatever you have for us, that you show us what community looks like, what it looks like to confide and gather with other people, and we ask that you help us proclaim your new kingdom, not our own, not the kingdom that we want to create in our head, but the kingdom that you have planned for this city. Help us be a part of that. Thank you so much for the Robinson Theater um, and the space that it has given us to be able to gather with each other. Thank you for the gift of your son. Amen.